0: Begin Podfix Network transmission in three, two, one. What is up, plant people? Today is Tuesday. April 6, 2021, and we're back with another episode of the Anthropology Podcast, the show where we dive into the lives, careers, and general awesomeness of some really wonderful, really cool plant people. I'm Vikram Baliga, your humble guide, and I'm thrilled, as always, to be with you today. And it's the right day. Isn't that weird? It's I've, I've had so many episodes over the past couple of months that we're not even close to on the right day. But we we persevere, we soldier on, and, and we make it happen. So I'm so, so excited today, so much that I can't even speak like a normal human uh, about today's episode. Um, this was one that I've been wanting to do for a long time. Uh, spoilers, I'm a nerd. I don't know if that's, I'm a nerd, y'all. I hope that didn't ruin this show for anyone. Uh, but I love the weather. I love the weather. I think it's so fascinating. And growing up here where I did on the high plains of Texas in Lubbock, America, we were, we were actually rated as the place with the strangest and most extreme weather in the United States. And that includes Alaska. We beat Alaska for the wildest weather. So claims to fame, right? And, and I, I love thunderstorms. I love lightning storms. I love hail. I'm one of these idiots that when it hails, I'll go stand on the front porch and be like, hey, look, look at the hail. It's, it's big. That's the size of a spiky tennis ball. If that hits me, I'm definitely going to die. I'm that guy who hangs out outside and I guess tries not to die. So I was thrilled when Justin Weaver, who is the meteorologist in charge with the National Weather Service here in Lubbock, Texas, home of the wildest weather, agreed to come on and talk to me. Uh, Justin and I have worked together in a couple of different capacities over the years. Um, their office is actually uh, in the same building where my wife works, and uh, Justin's just a wonderful, well-spoken, um, um, really just intelligent guy, and um, he's funny, he's personable, he's, he's, he's the, the quintessential podcast guest. And as you'll hear, he is one of the very most uh, well-respected, well-regarded, and well-liked Uh, instructors at Texas Tech University. So this was a great interview. We talked about everything from storm chasing to um, predicting the future and what it's like to teach in 2020 and 2021. So really interesting. uh, And I think you're going to love this episode. So uh, after I tell you to go follow Planthropology, hit the subscribe button if you haven't, check us out on social media, all the places, I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to let you start listening to Justin. So strap in, grab an umbrella, and let's listen to episode 46 of the Planthropology podcast with a meteorologist in charge, Justin Weaver. Well, we're back with another episode of Planthropology, and uh, I'm really excited about today's episode. Um, And I'm here with Justin Weaver, who I've worked with, you know, in a couple of different ways in the past. Uh, Justin is um, the meteorologist in charge at the National Weather Service here in Lubbock, and also an adjunct instructor here at Texas Tech. Justin, how's it going today? Great, Vikram. Thanks for having me. It's nice to, nice to have some social interaction for a change here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's after a year and a half of recording pretty much everything or a year of recording pretty much everything like remotely. It's nice to have you like sitting in my office. Yeah. It's great to be here. Yeah. I've been. Pretty much in uh you know working from home for the last year myself so it's nice
1: to be out in public for a change and you're you're all vaccinated right i am yes sir how did that go was it any problems uh, i think pretty pretty typical from what a lot of people have experienced you know first shot not too bad second shot felt pretty bad after that for about 24 hours or so but um
0: by the second day with everything was great so, that's awesome yeah it's nice to have i I'm, I'm looking forward to having that under my belt one of these days yeah. hopefully sooner than later so, um, gosh, I have like a lot of things in my brain that I want to talk about, but uh, like we always start off, I just like, uh, introduce yourself a little bit more. Um, tell us about your background and, and like what you studied, where you're from and how you kind of got to where you are today. Yeah, well, I'm actually,
1: actually born and raised in, uh, just outside of Flint, Michigan. So that's, uh, you know, the home of General Motors. My father was, a uh, my father was an auto worker. worked worked for General Motors for gosh, forty one, forty two years, something like that. You know, so we lived out in the suburbs there, outside of Flint, and just somewhere along the line, like a lot of, uh, I think you find from a lot of meteorologists, somewhere along the line, as a as a as a as a as, a, as pretty young, maybe seventh grade or so, kind of got the bug to get kind of got the bug to look into meteorology. Um, I was always excited by thunderstorms. always always loved thunderstorms yeah. long before I got into got into weather, but. Um, I think my father bought me like a, uh, weather forecasting, like a, one of those skill craft, like the old oh, yeah. chemistry. Remember those? Yeah. yeah. So they had one for weather. And I think he bought me one of those, uh, one year for Christmas or something. And I set that up and turns out in those latitudes up were up in the, mid, the latitudes where michigan's located you know you can take a homemade barometer and and kind of observe the wind direction and how it changes and how the barometer changes and can actually make a fairly accurate weather forecast based on that so that's as, cool yeah as a kid i just thought that was really cool being able to predict the future like that so that's kind of how i got interested in in weather and pretty difficult you know Back in those days, you know, this is back in the 70s, right? (laughs) There's no internet. Right. So, you know, to get information on the weather was pretty difficult. So I had scour libraries and the, the the, the school library and the local libraries, and there weren't really that many books on the weather. So back in those days, it was difficult to learn as much about a subject as you wanted to, whereas, you know. Uh, anybody interested in something like that today has all this has the whole internet at their disposal right so it's yeah uh, i'd never you know i would have been crazy you know i've been crazy if i would have had all that information to me when i
0: was (laughs) available to me as a kid well you know what's interesting about that that's a really good comment that there's uh, like i kind of i grew up with the internet so to speak i was born in the late 80s and so you know i as i was turning into a human, whatever, uh, you know, in the, in the nineties, the internet was becoming a thing, but it was not like it was today. Right. Like I, I still have like that dial up tone. Oh yeah. And and the AOL welcome still burned into my brain. Right. 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 And so like today there's so much of uh, information available, but I think people like, I, I, I have always thought that like with all the access to technology and information, we kind of use it wrong sometimes. Right. We, we go and we try to find little snippets of information Uh, But there was something to be said about like, oh, I have to read an entire book to get the information I want. And you pick up a whole bunch of other things along the way. I think it's an interesting like, it is nice that I can access like all of human knowledge on my cell phone. (laughs) Right, right. But sometimes like I feel like, oh, I just want this one little snippet instead of learning every I don't know that's just kind right, of the real yeah, side yeah,
1: maybe that might not learn a, learn a subject as much as you would normally right if you had to really
0: dig into it so so i don't know it's i don't know i it, i think there's always a you know a, a give and take with some of these things but um so man i i think in a lot of kids or a lot of people are super interested in in the weather like it's just absolutely such yeah. a fascinating like it's one of the most fascinating things that I like. We have zero control over, right? <laughs> that's it's one. Of, yeah, if you think about it, it's one of the few things left
1: in the world that we don't have control over, right? I guess coronavirus would be would be another sure. one, although we're getting control over that right now with the vaccinations, I guess. But yeah, weather is one of those things that yeah, you know, you can heat and cool your home and business and all that, but you really uh, you just have to deal with it. It's not something that we
0: can't we can't control. It's one of the few things we can't control in our lives. Yeah, uh, that's and that's kind of crazy to think about that we have kind of. Uh, in, in some ways exerted some control, you know, intentional control over a lot of other things. And right. the, the weather's just the weather.
1: Yeah. You know, I've, you know, obviously it's been tried, right? You know, well, yeah. uh, we've tried to control the weather in the past, but we, uh, we found that we just can't, uh, at this point in a way, it's just beyond, beyond the technology to do so. It's fascinating. So where, where did you go to school? What did you study going through school? Uh, yeah, yeah, I was, always, uh, I was always a pretty smart kid, thank goodness. Uh, I, I always did well in school and uh, in high school, you know, of course. Um, so I was in high school in the early 80s and, uh, and, and uh, no one in my family other than a cousin had ever gone to college. Oh, wow. and, I, and I knew that, you know, if I wanted to be a meteorologist, I had to go to college. And and thankfully, I had parents that who, who weren't college educated themselves, but I had parents who really encouraged my, you know, my academics and encouraged me to do well and always told me that, you know, if I can earn, if I can, if I can, if I have the grades and the credentials to get into school, that they would support me financially, which mm-hmm. they did. So I was, so I was very, very fortunate in that, in that aspect. Uh Meteorology isn't isn't a, a major at every uh, university, right. as you probably can imagine. And in Michigan, there was at the time there was only two schools. There was the University of Michigan, uh, very expensive, uh, very elite academic credentials to get into that school. And then Central Michigan University was the other one at the time, a little smaller school, much more uh much more reasonable from a financial standpoint. So I ended up uh going to Central Michigan University is where I uh okay. received a bachelor's degree. The bachelor's degree was actually in earth science and I had a, there was a concentration in meteorology at the time. Okay. And and from there I had a really uh had a, a really good professor there. It was a real very very small program. There was only about 10 students at the time. Matter of fact, they thought about getting rid of the program when I was <laughs> uh, when I was there. It's actually a robust program today, which is great up there at Central Michigan, but um I was encouraged to, you know, look at graduate school. And again, it did fairly well as an undergrad, you know, didn't, didn't set the world on fire, but I did well, (laughs) did well enough to get into graduate school. And I wanted to go where the exciting weather was. I was all, like I said, I was all into thunderstorms. I was all into tornadoes. I think, you know, most meteorologists, most operational meteorologists that forecast the weather really are into the extreme weather. Right. Obviously, (laughs) I think that's pretty obvious. Now, we don't like bad things to happen to people's property and people in general, obviously, but uh, we like the extreme weather. So... uh, uh I, back at at that point this is the early and now mid eighties uh storm chasing tornado chasing was uh from a from a research perspective uh this is long before it ever became a recreational sport for some right. <laughs> people uh was really, uh, uh, was really um, increasing in popularity at certain universities, including here at Texas Tech. So mm-hmm. I applied to several universities, but I really wanted to come out to the plains and chase tornadoes as part of a chase team, which I okay. got to do. So I was accepted here at Texas Tech, and that's how I ended up in the wonderful city of Lubbock, Texas. And I've been here uh, – that was 1988, fall of 88, when I started at Texas Tech. And I've been here uh, most of the time since then. I did move back to – I did, you know, move back to Michigan um, – for a short period back in the late '90s, early 2000s, and and uh, worked at the weather service there in Detroit for a while.
0: Okay. Wow. Yeah. So you know, it's funny because it, the, this podcast kind of goes out all over the world, um, and you know, lots of U.S. listeners, but it kind of goes out everywhere. And I think I, I talk about like Lubbock, Texas, a lot, and we have the weirdest weather. I, it feels weird. I don't know. I've lived here my whole life, and I'm always just like I. I tell people you get used to it, but I'm not sure I have yet. Like just, just these big swings, so I would think like it's, doing what you do. This is an interesting place to be. Yeah, it's a great place
1: to work as a meteorologist because you know we we get a little of all all sorts of weather. You know, even hurricanes. You know, we get remnants mm-hmm. of hurricanes up here from both off the Gulf and and um, off the Pacific. Of course, we don't get the winds, but we do get the rain from hurricanes. So we so we uh, we get to sample a, a little of everything. And <laughs> it, you know, it still amazes me. I think probably my favorite situations are those days. Probably you know this time of the year here in the here in the in the winter time where you know it can be we can have a day where it's seventy 75 degrees but we see this big winter storm coming and mm-hmm. so we'll forecast all the snow and cold temperatures and and, and um, most people who aren't really paying attention they just think you know they just think we're crazy they're like well, it's, it's 75 <laughs> degrees today how can you go from 75 to snow the next day but you know it happens all the time you know it's it that that type that type of extreme temperature drop just um Always amazes me how you can go from
0: summer to winter in twenty four hours. Or here on the high plains, it's uh, very for interesting. Sure. Yeah, well, for sure. And we kind of just dealt with that last week. So if you're if you're listening to this, you know, again, I have no idea when it when you're listening, but it's it's late February two thousand twenty one, and we just dealt with this the the biggest or I guess the coldest air that we've had through I guess the whole state, the southern U.S. in in what decades? I don't know.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was extremely cold, obviously, right? And uh, yeah, I think you got to go back to 1983
0: to to find a outbreak of cold air that was more severe than what we just went through. That was something else. So, did y'all? It was that a thing that you know over the past several weeks, y'all? I mean, because I I feel like y'all's you about this was really pretty accurate.
1: Yeah, the forecast, especially from a temperature wind chill standpoint, was pretty much right on the money. Uh, we we saw the we saw the cold air coming. Probably about a week in advance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember calling the emergency manager here in here in Lubbock. Uh, I think on the Monday and the cold air really came in the following Sunday. So it was yeah. I think on Monday I called and kind of gave him a little heads up. Hey, it looks like we're gonna have some snow coming maybe next weekend and sharply colder. Uh, yeah. you know, and, uh, and we also had some, we also had some freezing drizzle those mornings, uh, mm-hmm. uh prior to that. So that was, that, that was our immediate concern when you know, speaking with the emergency manager, but, uh, but yeah, we saw coming come about a week ahead of time. So it was kind of, yeah, it's kind of tough as a meteorologist to make such a good forecast like that and then have such bad things happen, you know, like the power sure, the power yeah. grid failing. That's something we can't do anything about. No. But a lot of times bad things happen because maybe the forecast wasn't right on the money. But this time the forecast was right on the money. So it certainly wasn't...
0: Uh, <laughs> uh, the problem certainly didn't stem from a bad weather forecast, that's for sure. Well, and I remember um the last huge winter storm we got was what 2015 2015 the the when there was a blizzard right after christmas yes and we got what like 12 inches of snow overnight yeah, yeah. uh that was right before my son was born so that was my son was born january 3rd of 2016 and y'all start forecasting oh we're gonna get a foot of snow and then you know i think like a lot of people i hear that i'm like well let's wait till we get closer to it. And I, you know who knows but right then, right like, sure consistently you're like no we're We're getting – it's happening. And then it it just, like, shut down this – you know, for those of you that don't know, we're up here on the high plains of Texas or the the southern high plains of Texas, and it's flat, and it's normally pretty warm, and there was like, one snow plow, and it kind of works. And so, like, we get a big snowstorm. We're not – we don't have the, the infrastructure for it. And so, like, I remember all that snow coming in, and then I was talking to my wife, Alana, and I was just like, okay, your job is to not move until this melts. Just sit on the couch. I'll bring you whatever you want. Do not go into labor. I'm not, <laughs> not doing right, this, right. Baby. But
1: yeah, other of promise, she wouldn't wouldn't labor during that because we were pretty much paralyzed for
0: a few days anyway yeah, here in the five city. Days. Yeah, uh, so I'm fortunately we we got through it. <laughs> that, that was one of those storms that that just our our our, our weather
1: models that we use to help us forecast uh, storms like that. They we have several models, mm-hmm. and that was just one of those rare occasions where. They all were pretty similar in what they were showing days in advance. So when we see, when we see models showing very similar solutions days in advance, that, that, Uh, gives us a lot of confidence in our forecast so that's why we were so confident about that about that forecast but I'll tell you it wasn't one of these deals where it was a slam dunk you know I remember I I remember sweating that out at the uh, (laughs) emergency operations center here in the city where I was working uh, to help them with the storm and uh, boy I tell you we were uh, we were already getting hate mail you know via via social media during that because we had got a little snow the night before and we were already getting the, oh, here we go again, you know, another busted winter forecast. <laughs> so we felt pretty good when we got that. Uh, I think it was officially here, 11 inches here in the city, although surrounding areas did get, you know, yeah. up to, you know, 12, 15 inches of snow. with And of course, the winds were blowing. It was a true blizzard. Winds were blowing, you know, 50, 60 miles per hour. Visibilities were below a quarter mile. And and we had drifts eight, 10 feet. So, yeah, that was it's one crazy. of the worst. Uh, that was one of the worst blizzards out here on the high plains, at least at these latitudes down here in the Lubbock area since the nineteen fifties. So it was a significant
0: storm. Wow. Yeah, that was that was really something I just like I'll never remember I'll never forget that. Because it was, I was just so stressed out for like four days. I was like, I don't, I don't want to do. But and, and I will say, you know,
1: since since that time, you know, the city actually has more plows, and the city mm-hmm. does an outstanding job now. I think, you know, mm-hmm, it's in true. dealing with with uh, winter weather, wasn't the case then, but certainly is the case now. They are very uh, much more proactive at dealing with uh, winter weather. And I, I lived here in the.
0: I lived here in the late '80s, and you know, and like you mentioned, the '90s. You know, you just had to wait for everything to melt yeah, before you could do anything, right? Well, and even with this this past storm, I mean, it was cold. We didn't get, I guess, a ton of snow—four, five right. inches or something, right? Right. Over the course of several days, but you know, once you got out of the neighborhoods, the roads were actually pretty okay. Right. Yeah. So, when, it's, when it's that cold, like it was when that snow fell, I guess it was like maybe
1: what, 10 to 15 degrees mm-hmm. or so. It's the snow is very, very dry and yeah. fluffy. So it's a lot easier to deal with than say when we get a, you know, five or six inches of snow and the temperature is around 30. That's a much
0: wetter snow, much, much harder to deal with from a snow removal standpoint. Yeah. I don't know, I just, again, I think that, that it's all, it's all pretty fascinating. The whole, the whole thing that goes into it. So um, this is, so I, I've been trying to figure out how to, how to structure some of this because there's, so much science and so much that goes in to what y'all do right um but can you take me through a little bit of so so you're you know meteorologist in charge at the weather service what does that entail like what is your job like i feel like that's a big title
1: well <laughs> yeah
0: yeah well, it's not not very exciting actually you know i mean it's probably it's much more
1: exciting being a forecaster and being a warning forecaster you know the operational meteorologist that we have we we have a staff at the weather service here in lubbock of uh, of about 25 20 to 25 employees it varies throughout the year and uh, there's about 100 oh gosh 125 130 offices just like the the office here in lubbock all all around the united states and so we kind of have the United States divvied up. Every office is responsible for a certain chunk of real estate in the United sure. in the in the United States. So my job is just to oversee the the entire operation. You know, from an, from an administrative standpoint, scheduling. Uh, making sure that uh, we're taking care of our, our partners and our and our users' needs, making sure we're using the latest you know scientific methodologies, uh, just anything you can think of that has to do with with uh, running an office, you know the, the the boring part of running an office, you know I the the, the few the few times that uh, they let me actually forecast the weather anymore, I still really enjoy it because that's what I got into that's yeah. what I got into the weather into weather for That's why I joined the National Weather Service, um, but uh, but yeah that that's what I do but you know the operation as a whole we we always have at least two meteorologists uh, working 20 24/7 i mean we were the one of the original 24/7 operations the weather service goes way back into the late 1800s so yeah. we've been doing 24/7 operations around, you know around the clock holidays doesn't matter whatever's going on you know we always have two meteorologists on on duty
0: well, I mean, I guess you would have to, right? Because things can change quickly. All that—that's that. that's right. Do, yeah. How has how has all the have all the shutdowns and COVID and all that has that affected y'all a lot in terms of what you were just talking about? It really has. Uh, I
1: mean, the forecasters, the, the the operational forecasters that work that are, are working around the clock. It's not a lot of different. It's not a lot different for them because they still have to go to work and they still have to be at the office and they've been there since uh, since you know the pandemic began. It's affected people like me in my positions, the administrators. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we've been pretty much uh, working from home most of the time. There's still things, obviously, we have to go in and take that we can only do at the office. Uh, but day in and day out, it's just the two the two meteorologists there around the clock um, uh, working. So uh, yeah, it's crazy working. F- I've been working for the federal <laughs> government for thirty years. If you ever told me, if you told me that I would ever. <laughs> If you told me that I would ever work at home from home, yeah, I would tell you you're crazy. I mean, even when the pandemic started, I wasn't sure that was going it was going to happen. But finally, you know, the federal government as a whole just just gave up and said, "Hey, look, it, we're just going to have to figure this out." And we really didn't have we didn't really have much guidance. You know, we just kind of just took home what we needed. Yeah, they trusted the managers to take care of things, and uh, you know, weather service as a whole, you know, we really we really haven't missed a beat, and that's really a testament to the to, to these forecasters, these meteorologists that are. You know coming in every day like they always have
0: twenty four seven to get the job done weather service hasn 't missed a beat in a pandemic well, and I guess you can 't right like that it 's an integral part of the way our society functions absolutely is, is knowing what the weather 's going to do right yeah if you don't have if you don 't have weather forecasts, you know you can 't
1: fly uh, it, right. it, it affects yeah i mean it, it affects it, it affects every facet of of what we do as human beings a- absolutely if you don 't have accurate
0: weather forecasts uh it would bring the whole the whole country the whole world would would uh go to a crawl i mean but but truly that and it's it's i've never really until we're talking about it now thought about it in those terms but yeah you can't we 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 cannot do anything you know Uh, short of like going outside and being like well what is the weather like right now (laughs) without right right without knowing at least a few days in advance or that day what what's going to happen i hadn't even thought about the flights yeah i don't you couldn't put a plane in the air if if they didn't know what they were going to fly through right yeah yeah yeah. if
1: you've been delayed at an airport uh flying somewhere uh it's probably due to weather yeah sometimes obvious mechanical issues but more times than not, it's it's a weather issue somewhere along, somewhere in the air traffic system of the United States. It doesn't have to be where you're flying to or where you are currently. Uh, it could be where the plane's coming from, right? So yeah, yeah weather affects aviation probably more than any any other um, yeah, operation.
0: I would think so. Um, so talking about forecasting and, and everything that goes into that, I think, uh, you know, I mentioned before we kind of started recording that I think that the... The interaction or the the experience most folks have with weather is what they see on the evening news. Right. They just see the again, the the news forecaster talking about what's gonna happen that week. But that's sort of like the the delivery end. And y'all like y'all have this whole back end. So um, you know, without without I don't know, having to go through all of the science involved, like what is involved what, what is um again, involved with building a forecast like what what do you do uh on the back end so that the the weather forecaster on the news can like deliver that information accurately right that's really what the national weather service is around for like you said we're kind of the we're
1: kind of the back end right we're the guys behind the scenes so we gather we gather the data uh it's the it's the same thing as anything else right garbage in garbage out you got to have yeah. really good data you have to understand What the current state of the atmosphere is before you can make an accurate forecast. And so a big part of what the National Weather Service does is, and and NOAA, our parent agency, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, the big part of what we do is gather data, constantly gathering data. I used to. I would. Uh, this would have been twenty years ago. I tell you, we gather all the data, but that's not necessarily the case anymore. Mm-hmm. We have we have operations like the like here at Texas Tech, the West Texas Mesonet, mm-hmm. outstanding partners of ours that that have all these observing platforms around West Texas now that gathered that got gather outstanding high quality, high resolution data. Uh, that's extremely important. Um, so we gather all this data. We take in all these other sources, like from the from the West Texas Mesonet uh, satellite data. All that data is constantly being observed. It's constantly coming in, and it it goes to it goes into these massive supercomputers in the Washington D.C. area, and these uh, massive supercomputers, some of the fastest computers (laughs) in the world. Seriously, some of the fastest computers in the world. These are highly these weather models that we utilize to make accurate weather forecasts uh, are computationally intensive extremely computationally intensive and it takes like like i said some of the fastest computers in the world to crank these equations out fast enough so that we can get the information in time to to use the to use the uh, information to make a forecast that's useful to people you know if it takes uh you know if it takes 24 hours to make a 12-hour forecast it's not it's not worth anything so so (laughs) and and there's other entities that run computer models too it used to be just totally a federal government deal um but so we run these weather models based on on this observation data, and then our forecasters, our meteorologists, um, and and the folks in media and the folks in the private weather forecasting firms. There's lots of meteorologists, uh, but we all pretty much use these same weather models. We okay. all pretty much use these same weather models. There's weather models that we use looking at, at more extended periods of time, like. When I told you, well, we were looking at that cold weather outbreak, we saw that coming about a week about a week ahead of time. Well, we use uh, uh, specific models for weather kind of on down the road, out, you know, four, five, six, seven, ten days. Mm-hmm. Um, and then models that if, if we're concerned about the weather today, like maybe t- we think today is going to be a big severe weather outbreak, tornadoes, big hail, things like that. <laughs> We use these high-resolution models that okay. um, you know they don't go out as far. They maybe they only go out twenty-four hours or maybe twelve hours. Okay, but those but those run more often. We have uh, one version of a high-resolution model we run we we utilize uh, especially on um, for real short-term weather. It runs every hour, so it cranks out a twelve-hour forecast every hour. Wow. So and that those are you know back when I first got started in meteorology and in the Weather Service in the nineties. I mean that was just unheard of. We'd have we had two or three models that ran twice a day. And that's what we had to make our forecasts. And that's why weather forecasts are people laugh. So why weather forecasts are so good today. They're so much better today than they used to be. And they are, you know. Yeah. I hear that. I hear that a lot. Like you said, everybody's favorite thing to do is to make fun of the, yeah. the weather forecast. But weather forecasts, especially for tomorrow, are way over 90% accurate, okay. way over 90% accurate. And most people, if you ask them, they'll tell you they're probably 50 50. But that is not true at all. Hmm. If, if you really think, you know, If you really think weather forecasts aren't accurate you're not paying attention
0: we'll take a quick break and when we come back we'll talk more about predicting the future well hey there welcome to the mid-roll you like how i'm just slowly turning into owen wilson oh wow weather anyway Sorry, I, I'm not, I'm really not, sorry. Hey, welcome to the mid-roll. Uh, this is where I tell you about stuff and let you listen to a trailer. So the stuff I'm going to tell you about is all the social media that you should be following for anthropology I am on the Instagram, the Twitter machine, the face space, uh, look for anthropology look for the lovely bristlecone pine designed and drawn by Dr. Beth Nichols, one of our very favorite guests here on the show, and uh, very favorite plant people anywhere on the planet and uh you should go follow us it's it's fun we talk about plant stuff i post lots of nonsense so you can listen to my nonsense here and then you can look at my nonsense on social media also go join the Planthropology's Cool plant people facebook group it is a group on facebook with cool plant people that like anthropology. you'll enjoy it we talk about plant stuff we answer questions we look at memes we chuckle and all of that. Uh, thanks, as always, to the Texas Tech Department of Plant and Soil Science for supporting the show and for being such a big uh, proponent of all of the cool science communication that we do around here. If you would like to support the show as well, head over to patreoncom anthropology There's cool rewards that that I sometimes remember to do, and uh, uh, if you just want to be a part of some great plant science education, um, that is the thing that you can do. But no pressure, right? I, it doesn't matter to me. I'm going to keep doing it either way. So, uh, in just a second, you're going to hear a trailer for the podcast discovery show, which, uh, if you remember when we talked about algae, um, uh, Kirk and Zach from the podcast discovery show are great guests. They're great hosts. And if you Are looking for your next favorite podcast go check out the podcast discovery show and you'll get some great ideas and some great options so uh listen to that and then get ready for more talking about the weather so here's a trailer in five four three two one Hi, we're the Podcast Discovery Show. We're a podcast that's about other podcasts where every single week we have a book club style discussion about a podcast we recommended the week before and then we recommend a new show at the end of that episode and it's a fun, just great way to discover new podcasts. And also on our feed, we have a show called Discovery Weekly where we talk about everything else we've discovered throughout the week. It can be art, history, science, food. We don't care if we discovered it, we want to talk about it. We are live
1: streaming on Twitch. We're on YouTube and you can find us anywhere you find your podcasts.
0: And remember, there's always more to discover. I think when someone sees like, there's a fifty percent chance of rain, you know, or whatever, right? Right, right. They think if there's a fifty percent chance of rain, it's going to rain at my house in this amount, but that's not really exactly how it works, right? It's it's sort of more regional, or the the resolution's not really that close.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's there's lots of confusion over what probability precipitation really means. So what so what what it's supposed to mean? What we what we try to do is that we take the 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 chance that we think precipitation is going to develop. Yeah. So there's a certain percentage there, right? It's from zero to one hundred. Uh, zero, we don't think we're sure there's not going to be any like today or a hundred percent. We are positive that there's going to be precipitation. And then we multiply that by the coverage of uh, okay. how much coverage we think there's going to be across, uh, like you said, a given geographic area. So take Lubbock County, for instance. So if we, so if we think there's a 50, 50 chance that we're even going to see precipitation, but if it does develop, we know there are going to be showers and thunderstorms. You're mm-hmm. probably going to cover about 50% of the area. Well, that would be, you know, it'd be 0. 0.5 times 0. 0.5, which is 0. 0.25. Okay, it's a 25 percent chance at any given location. So that's where we get that number from. That's what that number means. So huh. really, okay. what it's spo- really, really what it's supposed to mean is that if if they're well calibrated, uh, if the if the probability of precipitation, otherwise known as a pop, if the pops are well calibrated, then um, if we forecast a 40 percent chance of rain at your house ten times, it should rain. 4 out of 10 times. Gotcha. That's that's what it that's what it's that's what it means. Okay. And so And so Very Interesting. Yeah, so and, but the pops have to be well calibrated, you know, you can't play games with it saying, well, you know, it's really an 80% chance, but I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get anybody's hopes up, so I'm going to make it a 60% chance. Right. And that starts really confusing the situation. So you got to make sure that and it's tough, right? Cuz we're humans, but Right. yeah, uh, it's tough to leave those Biases out of you know I really want it to rain you know we have it hasn't rained and hasn't rained in three months so I really want it to rain so I'm gonna you know I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna increase the probability of precipitation it's really hard as a scientist not to do that but sure but you have to do that you have to you have to go with what the numbers say and what your and what your experience tells you as well you know if, I you know I said a minute ago that forecasts are are very accurate you know I'm not saying they're perfect obviously. sure right yeah and weather forecasting is still uh, it's still a mix of is still a mix of machine and human. The good forecasts, anyway. You can get a lot of uh, a lot of forecasts you get on your cell phone. Those are, you know, what we call automated forecasts. Okay. There's, it's just some type of computer output, maybe some blend of computer output. On a day like today, I'm looking out the window here in Vikram's office. It's sunny outside. it's, yeah. it's a it's a beautiful day in West Texas. It's going to be about fifty degrees. Those uh, those automated forecasts work pretty well for days like today. Days <laughs> when things are falling apart. Yeah, when there's going to be. Severe thunderstorms, tornadoes, snow—they're not as good as getting a human in there to really look at the situation. It's, so, yeah. so that's one thing that the weather service still does. It's one thing you still get from your your TV um, weather person, TV or radio weather person. You know, they're still they're still getting that human spin on, it. and it's still important, especially in the short terms, especially for what's going on today, maybe what's going on tomorrow. Okay. Now, and you start talking, you start talking four or five days down the line, six, seven days down the line. Weather is so complicated, and the forces that drive it are so highly nonlinear. Yeah, that as a human, it's really, really difficult to beat the machines. Now, there's certain things we can look at and say, "Well, that's probably going to be windier than the models are saying." Uh, but when it comes to temperatures, wind direction, just the general weather pattern, they're getting extremely difficult to beat. The weather models are uh, in the longer out, out the longer terms now because interesting because the models are getting better. Computational, you know, yeah, the computations are, you know, they're they're capable of making more and more calculations, yeah. Um, so the yeah, the computer with the computer power, what is it double every eighteen months yes, still yes, or something, something like, like that. that? You know, it, it just it, they're just getting very difficult to beat. So we've gone to more using these model blends for maybe days four, five, six, seven, where okay. we kind of look at blends of models that that works pretty well. Now, blends do tend to miss these big extreme events, right? Mm -hmm. Like we just had that big cold outbreak. So we, what we can, but that's something we can do as humans. We can see that coming and say, well, you know the models are probably going to be a little too warm in this situation. Looks like a really, really strong Arctic outbreak, so we'll go in there as a, as a human meteorologist and and maybe you know tweak those temperatures down a little bit because we think it's going to be a little bit colder than what the models are showing.
0: Okay, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, uh, quick question about the, the the TV end of it too, because again, that's I think that's what people see. So y'all are providing all this data, all this, um, all all these you know models and forecasts and all of that are. A lot of the, the weather people on the news, are they just kind of like taking your information and disseminating it? Or do they sort of make their own judgments on how they think things are going to go? Or is it some of both? yeah yeah, oh yeah definitely it's some of both, yeah I think that
1: um uh, a lot of situations like a daylight like today you know where it's just sunny and and you <laughs> know there's not there's not much you can do with it you're you're pretty much you're gonna get the same weather forecast from anybody, yeah probably you know within a couple degrees, um, probably as far as the high temperature is concerned or maybe the low temperature. But right, we pretty much all meteorologists, whether whether you're a TV met or uh, working for the Weather Service or working for one of the private uh, in the private industry, we all pretty much use, we all pretty much have the same information available to us. Okay. Uh, we all pretty much have the same models now one may like one model over the other and and um you know you you know me as a meteorologist i may i may prefer another model for a given situation that's kind of where the difference that's kind of where the differences uh where the differences come in so okay. um and a lot of that is again a lot of that's based on experience you know i have some we have some forecasters uh here at the weather service in lubbock have been have been forecasting out here in west texas for you know like like me they've been out here for 30 years yeah. and so you know they have a they have a Pretty good in intuition about them. They know what models uh, work best in which situations, and so uh, so that's kind of how it works. Uh, there are some private models that um, some uh, weather, fo- uh, some TV weather mm-hmm. uh, folks probably have um, access to. And um, uh, Dr. Ansel, Dr. Brian Ansel here at Texas Tech runs a, an excellent high resolution. A uh, weather model that we use uh, we use quite a bit, especially in the especially in the springtime here. Okay. So that's available to us uh, in the Weather Service. Uh, so uh, yeah, there, there's uh, there's lots of other models now that there, there never used to be. Like I said, you know, we yeah. used to, we just have a couple we get to choose from, and they run twice a day, and that's what we that's what we had, and we had to deal with it. And um, sometimes they were pretty bad.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> well, and technology's come a long way. It has come a long way. And uh, you know, in general, but I know that the again, like you said earlier, the better the data, the better your forecast. Absolutely. Is, so, yeah, absolutely. The, yeah, the diagnosis of the atmosphere is is paramount in making a good weather forecast.
1: You have to understand what's going on now, why what's going on now is going on, and uh, how that's going to change to to make a to make a good weather forecast. And then you talked about the TV. You talked about the TV meteorologists. You no, know, they have a very important job, and their 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 job is to is to uh, like you said is to disseminate. That information, uh, so people can understand the weather forecast, because that's really a challenge. A lot of times, we think our weather forecast is pretty good, but if you ask somebody out on the street, they tell you they thought it, they thought it stunk. <laughs> and the problem, the problem is the communication. Like we sure. talked about, the probability of precipitation, people maybe not understanding what we're what we're trying to say there. So, so the the the, the meteorologists that are in media are very important to. Getting across that information. And we hear that a lot when we, you know, at the Weather Service, we're responsible for issuing severe thunderstorm warnings and tornado warnings. Okay. That, that's an official, that's an official um, task of the federal government, the National Weather Service. Okay. We're a federal government agency. So we issue the tornado warnings. But us just issuing a tornado warning probably isn't enough to get somebody to take action. We hope it is. But a lot of times it's not. But but when they see their trusted local TV meteorologist getting excited and telling them that they need to seek shelter, that's usually enough to get them to do something for sure. So it's very important. And it's
0: interesting that that some of these folks really become like celebrities, right? Absolutely, they're they're a big deal,
1: (laughs) right? Right? Yeah. People ask me about that, you know, and I always tell them, well, you know, when you go to college, you have to to be a meteorologist. You have to have, you know, at least in the Weather Service, you have to have a bachelor's degree in meteorology. And I. I tell them, you know, there's all these different tracks you can take. There's there's the media route. There's the graduate school route. There's the yeah. You know, well, they take the good looking people, and all those people get to go to all those people get to go work for TV. The rest of us are stuck working for the weather service. Not to say there aren't good looking people working for the weather service. To all my all my weather service people out there, so <laughs> that's funny.
0: Um, so so talking about school and and the I guess education side of this. So I was. You, it's probably. I hope it's not too creepy, but I kind of looked you up, and because I've heard this before, uh, you're one of the highest rated professors at Texas Tech. <laughs> I don't know if you know this. You probably know this. I do know this. Yes. And yeah. It, it consistently, I hear that that Justin is one of the best professors or instructors that at Texas Tech. So you're you know an adjunct instructor. You teach intrad uh, Atmospheric Science. So I, you know, as as someone who's an instructor, I want to be. How do how do I be the best instructor? (laughs) But like, how did you get into teaching? Well, actually, when I I went to
1: graduate school at Texas Tech back in the like like I said, I started in 1988 there. So I, you know, I wasn't. they, they, there's, two, there's two classifications of graduate students, right? Which I'm sure you know, right? Yeah. You know, there's the, there's the RAs, the research assistants, the really, the really smart kids, right? <laughs> and then there's those of us that have to come to grad school and they let us teach to, to make money. So I was a yeah. teaching assistant. Yeah, I, I, taught, I taught the Atmo uh, lab, the Atmospheric Science 1100 back in, back in those days and, and uh, found out that I really liked it. And I really like doing that. And uh, of course, I was 22 years old right at the time, yeah. so I was the same age as the students I was teaching anyway. So I guess I related to them pretty well. And yeah. and I try not to take myself, you know, too seriously, especially you know, not knowing that the class I teach here at Tech now it's a non major class. So I've got yeah. a lot of business students. I have a I have I have I have fashion design students. I yeah. you know most of my students aren't going to be a meteorologist. Sure. So I try to take that approach. I you know they probably like me probably because I'm not super hard on them. I think. <laughs> <laughs> probably you know when you have a large lecture class like i have 200 and, 200 and some students like that you know it, it, it's you got to kind of teach to the middle so i have some brilliant kids in my class the students in my class that i'm sure the class is just way way too easy for them and then i have some that really really struggle so it's difficult but but no i was working at the weather service and and uh, actually uh, this is back in 20 uh, 2013 mm-hmm. And one of our former employees, a man who had retired, his name's Lauren Phillips. Mm-hmm. Um, he taught that he taught two sections of atmospheric science here at Texas Tech for ten years, and then he decided he wanted to retire for good. He retired from the Weather Service, and then he went and taught for ten years. Yeah. And He decided he wanted to retire for good. Lauren's a, a brilliant guy. I learned a lot from him as a as a young man in the Weather Service. So uh, when he retired, uh, was, uh, Texas Tech uh, we have a we have a really strong relationship with tech, obviously with the atmospheric science department. We do a lot of research with them and uh, we do a lot of seminars together and uh, we just have a lot of interaction with the really um, brilliant um, professors over there in atmospheric science. Well, anyway, they come looking to see if anybody wanted to pick up where Lauren left off. And actually one of my colleagues there at the weather service wanted to teach. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so we, so he went through all of the ethics uh, clearances that we have to do as federal employees to do that kind of thing, sure. to 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 work on the side like that. And and when he got all cleared and all of a sudden done, uh, they told him that they, they wanted him to teach two classes. Well, he's got this you know already a forty plus hour a week job at yeah. the Weather Service, so he was like, well, I can't work, I can't teach two classes. You know, I don't have time to do that. He thought it was only one class, yeah. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, And so he was kind of coming to my office one day, and he's like, well, I guess I'm not going to be able to do it because there's two classes. And I and I just kind of on a whim said, well if they, if it's okay with tech, I could teach the other class. Yeah. And so that's how it kind of started. And so now I've been doing it, this is like my eighth year now. So yeah, like I I said, yeah, it turned out that I turned out that I really liked it. I like doing it. I I, I love the students. I, and I don't have the pressures. I think being an adjunct instructor, you know, I don't have the research pressures. I don't have the publishing pressures and I can just go in there and teach. And it's, um, and I think they, I think they enjoy a perspective from somebody who actually, who actually does it. Not that that's, You know, not that you know that that there's anything wrong with that, but uh, I think they, I, I, I apparently have a lot of stories and I tell (laughs) a lot of situations. I think they enjoy you know learning from somebody who actually
0: actually does it, you know, for for a living. So I think that's I think that's part of it. Well, that's awesome. Well, you know, you're a great communicator and a great storyteller for sure. And I think that you know, I'm in some ways in a similar position where I don't do a lot of research, I do a little or I help with research, but I'm, I'm a, an instructor and, you know, greenhouse guy. So it's kind of fun just <laughs> getting to go in and right. like not have to worry about, Oh my gosh, I've got to finish a paper today and get it out and all that stuff. Right.
1: Right. And you know, our professors, you know, they have all these graduate students that are, you know, that they want to, they want to spend a lot of time with, you know, yeah. justifiably so. And, and so, um and so, yeah, so we, you know, so i just yeah it's just, it's just easier for me to i think it's just easier for me to go in there and kind of relax and kind of be more laid back and i actually have the time you know the i try to stay on top of my email and things like sure. that so i also have student i also have children that are they're getting older now but i actually have children <laughs> that are you know of that age so i still think i can still relate to that age group a little bit sure. still my 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 youngest is a junior at tech right now so once he graduates and and moves on. I don't know how much longer I'll relate as well to the students as maybe sure. as I still do. But I think that's I think that's part of it. But no, it's kind of uh, yeah. that's kind of it's um, kind of neat that they that they uh, like me so much. I no, it's awesome. I, I, I appreciate that. I, think it's I mean, awesome. uh, uh, you know, you teach. I, th- I think Vikram, you know, you know, when you when you and I, I tell my students this. You know, when you when you're talking to them in class, you know, getting feedback from them, yes. vis- visually is difficult, <laughs> yes. especially when they have masks on. Like oh my goodness, has been yes. has been the case lately. Uh, to not see their expression, so I was uh, my first semester i taught i I went into that thinking, I have a pretty good idea of how to do this and how to relate to the students and how to do a good job with this class and By the end of that semester, I thought I think I told my colleague who was teaching you know the other section I thought well, you know maybe they 're just Maybe times have just changed so much that they just don't. Yeah, this just this just, just, just isn't working, you know. And then I got my, you know, then I got my evaluations <laughs> and they were pretty good. So I thought, gosh, you know, you wouldn't ever know it. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't ever know it in real time. That's for sure. That so. is the
0: truth. Like I can see them sleeping still. Yeah, you know, like yeah. I can still even with a mask, you can see if a student's asleep. Right, for the right, most part. right. Um, but, which there were, you know, I I told you I teach in this thousand seat theater this semester, yeah, and like I can barely see the kids in the back. Except when they're like right, over right. in the chair, like oh, I gotta sleep. Boom. Try not to get offended by that. I know the first time somebody
1: slept through one of my lectures, I was probably a little, a little hurt about it. But now I'm, <laughs> you know, now I'm just glad they're there. Yeah, you just get
0: used to it. Yeah, <laughs> so, it's it's kind of funny actually. Yeah.
1: But no, I, I love the I love the teaching aspect of my job. For I mean, it's been I mean, as a separate uh, deal from what I do at the Weather Service, it's totally different. It's a you know, the Texas sure. Tech is a place I can come to. I'm not in charge. I don't have to, I don't I don't have to make any decisions. Yeah, no one's coming to me, you know, for it. Not, not that I don't, not that I don't, you know, like that. at The weather service that's what, that's what I do, and I like I like that too. But it's just a nice. Uh it's a nice uh, distraction for me. Three three days a week, I get to uh, make the short drive here to Tech and be surrounded by a bunch of young people, which I think is just is just fantastic. I love I love the students. That's why I do it seriously. I, I, uh, I think a lot of professors say you know tech uh, teaching or, or college is a great gig, right? If it's not for the students, right? <laughs> you hear that <laughs> yeah, joke, heard but that you hear that joke, right? But I but I, I I love the students. I love getting to know them. I wish I could get to know more of them. Yeah. I mean, it, it gives me hope for the future.
0: Yeah. But it is hard in a big class to like, you know, you, 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 like, you, I, I like how you said it earlier, you kind of teach to the middle and you've got the students that are there because they just needed a, a, a class, you know, yeah. they needed the hours. Most of them. Yeah.
1: Most well, of them. Well, our arts too, yeah. you know, honestly. We have a few closet meteorologists that come out, you know, during yeah. the semester, but, yeah, yeah. but um, yeah, by the far majority of them, they're all just there to get, because they have to have a science.
0: So. Well, and that's, you know, that's like us. I teach intro horticulture. It's another gen- general science mm-hmm. course and. We get, you know, it's a big class. We've got three sections and, you know, 300-ish students a semester. And most of them are not, like, 90% of them are non-majors. Probably more than 90%. Right. And, but it is fun. And, and I'm sure you found this, too. Like, it, it's almost like an extra win when you get, like, this person that is totally, like, you know, they're just in the class because they need the credit. Who, by the end of the semester, are interested. Like, whether they go into it or not. Like, I don't care if my students, I care. But, like. I don't need my students to go like be... Horticulturists. I don't need them to go do that right I just want them to care a little bit about the subject matter just a little bit yeah you sure don't want to turn them off
1: I mean yeah, I think yeah. that's the yeah and I, yeah I, I usually get a couple emails at the end of every semester from somebody saying hey you know this class was a lot more interesting than I thought it was than I thought it was going to be or or a lot of the, a lot of the evaluations are boy you took a really boring subject and made it interesting you know I didn't hate coming to class you know I think those are I think those are wins right that yeah I, I, yeah I think so and I hear a lot of people tell me that they have a lot greater respect for for the weather, and a lot more interested in the weather now since they, since I had my class. So if I can, cool. so if I can accomplish that, yeah, that that's great. And of course, if it was a class full of majors,
0: I would be I'd be much more I'd be much harder on them. Sure, you know, if, yeah. they, if they were all going to go off and be meteorologists, that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, something I wanted to come back to that we kind of um, touched on at the beginning uh, is as part of your stories is storm chasing because I think growing up in this part of the country, storms are exciting. Like, you know, and there, there's always the joke that, like, you get someone in different parts. It's okay. So, for example, I went to school. I did my undergrad at A&M. And, like... If I ever heard thunder, I would see people running for the hills, right? Like if there was if there's lightning and thunder and like a, a thunderstorm, people would like go hide. But I remember in West Texas, you hear thunder and you see lightning, and I'm like going outside to see what's going on, right? I I want to see the weather, right? Which is exactly wrong thing to do, right? Exactly. But it, yeah, as long as it's, as long as it's far enough away, it's okay. But
1: we do the same thing, and <clears throat> yeah, thunderstorms are. Um... <clears throat> Excuse me. No, yeah. you're fine. <laughs> Yeah, thunderstorms are exciting. Like I said, I was uh, I was totally into thunderstorms long before I wanted to be a meteorologist. I used to go out on my front porch in Michigan and watch the storms roll in, which turns out's not safe, but no. <laughs> um but um I used to do that. So, yeah, storm chasing is something that kind of grew out of the need to understand the the mechanisms that that cause cause tornadoes. Tornadoes used to kill a lot more people yeah. on average every year back before there was a watch warning system like we have today. And the whole storm chasing thing was started by researchers, by meteorologists, researchers that were trying to understand tornadoes, tornado development, and their parent structures, which are supercell yeah. supercell thunderstorms, which are thunderstorms that have a rotating updraft. Yeah. So that's how storm chasing started. I think the first storm chase was probably, oh... Gosh, uh, probably in the late '50s, maybe, hmm. um, and the, it, it gained more traction in the '60s. I think it was actually funded, uh, funded maybe for the first time, why de- decently funded in the first time. I think in the nineteen seventy early '70s, by the I think it was actually the the Nuclear uh, Regulatory Commission really? I mean, when they started building nuclear power plants. I think they wanted to know. Huh. Uh, I'm not totally sure about that, yeah. but. Uh, so I, I think a lot of people think you can get a job as a storm chaser and you really, you know, like for the weather service, oh, do you get paid to chase storms? No, you know, I wish we did, but <laughs> yeah. that's something we, you kind of, it's kind of a, it's much more recreational now, unfortunately, you know, there's a lot yeah. of people out there chasing storms now. Uh, but you know, there's still a lot of research going on. There's a lot of field projects. The professors here at Texas Tech usually, and the, and the graduate students, um, most springs participate in some type of field project where yep. they're where they're driving out you know, uh, mobile Doppler radars and instrumentation packages and drones and all sorts of things. They're taking these out and they're trying to surround uh, either the dry line or supercell thunderstorms or you know trying to trying to solve the puzzle of why some thunderstorms produce tornadoes huh. and others don't. And it's still and we still don't know. We have idea huh. you know we have ideas or theories. But we still don't know why some supercell thunderstorms produce tornadoes and some don't. That's so. really
0: interesting uh, because, yeah, I mean, we that's it's sort of a, you know, knock on wood, we haven't had, at least in the Lubbock year, and there's that big one in the 70s. And, you know, they're, but it's part of life. Like tornado warnings, severe thunderstorm warnings in the spring year. So coming up in the next month or two, like they'll start popping up and we see them. And it's just something that you kind of... Learn to to live with around here, but I can totally see that before, like we we col- we were able to collect this high resolution, like pinpointed data. Like you know, there's people out there building like tanks now that they can go. Like, right, right. You know. Yeah, some of the chasers have these tanks that they are.
1: Well, yeah, they're they're these armored vehicles. They take these trucks and they and they reinforce them and they actually drive into. Uh, driving to tornadoes, uh, usually they're weaker tornadoes, I think, I would but, hope. <laughs> uh, right. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there's been a, we've learned a lot about tornadoes. We've learned a lot about supercell thunderstorms through field observations. Um, so one day will one day that puzzle will probably be solved, but right now, you know, we know the, we know the ingredients that's going to, that we know that we, we know the ingredients that produce supercell thunderstorms. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we know the conditions where tornadoes and even violent tornadoes tend to tend to form under thankfully, those are those conditions are rare. They don't come together that often, sure. but we still don't really we still can't look at a thunderstorm that develops and say, this one's going to produce a tornado with you know with much more than maybe um, you know, sometimes we can get maybe you know we we see a storm developing on radar in the right environment. And we might be able to get you, you know, maybe a 30 minute warning. Sure. Maybe a 45 minute warning. On average, our tornado warnings are about
0: 13 minutes or so. We get about 13 minutes lead time on on tornadoes. Well, and most people around here have a preparedness plan. You know, like just like in other parts of the country, it's like, you know, you have your fire plan or whatever for your family. Like I think a lot of, maybe not as many as should. I think we should all have one, but like, you know, I know my family, we don't have a basement in my house, but we're like, okay, here's an interior closet, an interior wall, we have these supplies, all of that yeah, it's interesting. if you have a plan, if you know what to do when a
1: when a tornado is approaching, which is as you just mentioned, you know, if you have a basement, get get below ground, obviously, that's the safest place. Uh, interior rooms, bathrooms, no windows, stay what you want, interior rooms, small rooms where they can't get a lot of debris blowing around like closets. Uh-huh. bathrooms are always really good locations if they don't have windows because the plumbing tends to reinforce that a little bit. sure. um yeah, if you can if you can seek shelter, protect your head, stay inside, you know, your chances of surviving even the most violent tornado are very very high like upwards of 95 percent um, yeah yeah oh, wow. yeah it's very very high if you do the right things yeah uh, you know if you can um, if you can just get in the shelter cover up you know protect your head yeah you'll probably be okay what happens though is people they'll run outside they'll try <laughs> they, they don't know where the tornado is especially at night they don't know where maybe, maybe know where the tornado is and they'll try to get in their car and, and drive somewhere else or or they just or worse yet is probably just not paying attention sure we hear this all the time you know, you see a, a big tornado strike some some unfortunate city somewhere or town somewhere, kill a few people, and they can almost always drag some survivor out of, out of their uh, home that's been destroyed. And they'll say something like, we had no warning this was coming. Yeah. And I'll tell you, Vikram, that is hardly ever the case anymore. Yeah. Especially the big tornadoes. Yeah. There's almost always a warning. Yeah. Uh, it may be only five minutes. Um, typically, when a big tornado, it's longer than that. But it is extremely rare anymore where a violent tornado hits a community without a, without a warning. Yeah. Extremely rare. Yeah. And
0: if you didn't get it, you weren't paying attention. Probably. It's like having a weather radio, if you know, and, and you know, even if we even if we don't know that this storm is going to produce a tornado, like going to bed, a lot of times we're like, okay, there's thunderstorms tonight. We should like keep our supplies ready. We should you right. know keep our phones on so like weather alerts can come through. Keep everything charged. All that. Right, right. The the right, the, 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 time, <clears throat> the times throughout the year that that we are anybody like say
1: here in Lubbock, that we are covered by a tornado watch, where we need to pay extra attention, is just such a small yeah. small fraction of time throughout the year. I mean, we may be under. I don't know the number, but just off the top of my head, we're probably under maybe. I don't know, maybe. Less than ten, maybe yeah, five sure. tornado watches a year, maybe yeah. something like that. And and most of those are most of those are late afternoon, evening yep. around in these parts of this part of the, the country. Rarely are we under a tornado threat in the middle of the night, like you get further east, like sure. out in the out in the deep south, or maybe the Tennessee Valley in those yep. areas. So, um, yeah, so we're not asking you to pay attention that much.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just a little bit.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but you have to do, but you have to do that. I mean, no one's going to come knock on your door and tell you there's a tornado coming. You know, a lot of people, (laughs) a lot of people think that a lot of people think that, well, somebody's going to tell me if it's, if the tornado's coming and, and, you know, you might get a call, your cell phone might activate. If you live in a, if you live in a city where there's sirens, the sirens might go off. Yeah. But some of those, if it's a big tornado and it's fairly close by, some of those, sources of information will fail. Yeah, sure. So that's why you gotta have numerous sources. You know, just, you, you can't rely on just one. Just be prepared. Everybody yeah. thinks they're gonna get their warning on their cell phone and yeah. they might. They might. But they may not. But <laughs> the first thing that fails in big disasters is communication. So that's no, what we that's always true. tell people you've got to have other ways to get, you know, weather radios. Yeah. Turn on turn on your local TV station, listen to the radio, listen to the weather radio. Yeah. Like again, you may have sirens in your community. So that's lots good. of ways you gotta protect yourself. That's yeah. it's rare. You know it's rare. These things are rare. But they do happen. Yeah, they do. They happen every year. Oh, and spring
0: and tornado season's coming. So definitely yeah, listen yeah, to this wherever you are. All throughout the country. Absolutely. Just, just be prepared. Um, well, gosh, I uh, there's probably a lot more things I could ask you, but I don't want to take your entire day. Um, so one of the questions that I, I ask every guest um, when they come on and and it's it's fun when i get a new guest who like doesn't know it's coming and i don't tell people because it's more fun for i don't people. know what's coming no you see it perfect um so if you had a piece of advice and it can be about really whatever you want life uh careers whatever if there's something you wanted to leave the listener with what would that be wow that's a good that's a that's a good question it's fun, no. it's fun to spring on people i think
1: i think part of the uh, part of my class that I, that I that I part of my atmospheric science class at Texas Tech on Wednesdays I do this little deal at the end of each lecture and I call them I call them Weaver's Wednesday Words of Wisdom kind of kind of corny but it's kind of some no, things I dig it. it's kind of it's kind of some things that I like to pass along to these students that are you know and they're you know around 20 years old that I wish I knew when I was 20 so I have about seven or eight things that I actually pass along there but I think from a I think from a career standpoint maybe I would I would I would tell you to follow your passion um, yeah, I, like I said, I was a really good student uh, in high school, and uh, I had a lot of my, my parents' friends tell me that I should be a doctor, or I should be a lawyer, or I should be something where I could make a where I could make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But I was really into the weather, and I didn't I didn't at the time, you know, I do now, but at the time I didn't care how much money I was going to make. <laughs> right. And at that time, meteorologists didn't make a lot of money. Right. And um, but I that's what I wanted to do. So I so I followed my passion. You know, I got a degree in meteorology. I surrounded myself, you know, when I, especially here in grad school at Texas Tech with a bunch of really brilliant people. And I was fortunate enough to, to get an excellent job with the National Weather Service. And it's been an outstanding career, something that still makes me want to go to work every day. Here, I've been doing it 31 years later. Yeah, It's, it's different every day. Um, I still like to get up in the morning and go to work. I still like to get up in the morning and go teach. And uh, if you, you know, I think if you have a, if you can get paid to do that, um, that's a really good thing. Yeah. Uh, A lot of people don't really like their jobs, right? They do it because they can make money doing it. Uh, and and it's something that maybe they fell into, you know, mine was a passion of mine. Like a lot of meteorologists, you see that a lot. So that'd be, that'd be my advice. Follow your passion. Don't worry about the money. If you follow your passion, you'll probably be really good
0: at it. And if you're really good at it, the money will probably follow. That's awesome. That's great advice. Um, Wow, that's that's awesome. I really enjoyed all this uh, a lot. This is a great conversation. Um, so I know you you're smarter than me, so you don't do a ton of social media. Uh, I don't know about that. Uh, I, I don't do a ton of social media, but I don't think I'm smarter. Than I, th- I think that makes. You- <laughs> I know. I, I as much social media as I do. Uh, the people that are like not on it, I'm always like. See, I should be like you, because uh, it's it's a whole thing. But um, if people want to find you, is are there places they want they can like go to find more information about you or what you do or whatever else? You know,
1: unfortunately for me, not really. I don't do a Very lot. Of, I, I don't do a lot of social media. <laughs> I mean, I do have a Twitter account, but I hardly ever tweet. I just kind of use it as a, as a news aggregator, sure. you know. But all your local national Weather Service offices have a Facebook page. They all have a they all have a Twitter uh, a Twitter account that you can follow. Yeah. So uh, yeah, if, you, if you're looking for the best weather information for your uh, for your area you know um certainly look up your local national weather service office and and um you can find out your information there but for me personally yeah you probably just have to give me a call or drop me a <laughs> drop me an email you know the old the old-fashioned way but yeah yeah vikram i really don't have uh okay i have a whole lot out there i, I think don't think totally you know I
0: think, I think it's probably <laughs> smart um well justin man i appreciate your time i that was it's good to catch up i hadn't seen you in a while and yeah, absolutely uh, uh, yeah. i think that was a really fascinating conversation yeah, I, I totally enjoyed it, Vikram. I appreciate it. Appreciate it having me on the show. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, as always, y'all are awesome, and uh, we will see you next time. So go out, chase storms, follow your dreams, do all those things safely and smartly, and uh, don't be afraid to live your passion, whatever that means. Um, thanks so much again to Justin Weaver for uh, his time, his expertise, and just his just general ness That's not a. Great word, I don't even care. Um, thanks for listening, y'all. Uh, thanks again to the Texas Tech Department of Plant and Soil Science. Um, we'll be back actually on our normal schedule in two weeks uh with Kristen Dickey, who is a friend of mine, a fellow graduate of Texas Tech, and who is a great science and ag science communicator, and uh someone who I think you are just really going to enjoy. So have a great two weeks and we will talk to you soon. Y'all be great, y'all be good and keep being really cool plant people.